0: Good morning. Welcome to Berlin Christian Church, where our mission is to make more and better followers of Jesus Christ. My name is Michael Hinnon. And I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here, and we want you to know whether you're here in person or you're with us online, you are welcome here, and that we are glad you are here. Uh, as we begin the sermon today, you're going to need your Bibles. We're going to truck through an entire book of the Bible today, so having your Bible will be important. We're going to be in the book of Jude, which is the second to last book in the Bible, so it's right before the book of Revelation. We have been going through this series called A Journey to Witness, where we have been using the. Three small books at the back of our Bible, 2 John, 3 John, and now the book of Jude, to teach us how to witness to other people. And so 2 John, we talked about walking in truth and love. Last week, Warren talked about 3 John and hospitality. And today, we're going to talk about the book of Jude and how we can witness with mercy. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, look at verse 3, but before we start there, I'm just going to give you the sermon and the sentence so you guys in the back can go ahead and go to sleep after I tell you this sentence. Here's the the sermon and the sentence. From now until the end, we are called to contend for the faith. From now until the end, we are called to contend for the faith, and we hear about that in verses 3 and 4. They say this, Dear friends, "'Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, "'I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith "'that was once and for all entrusted to God's holy people. "'For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago "'have secretly slipped in among you. "'They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality.'" And deny Jesus Christ our sovereign, our only sovereign and Lord. And so Jude, he feels compelled to write to this church because there are false teachers in their midst. And these false teachers to teach two main false doctrines. The first is they abuse God's grace. They say it's okay for you to believe that God exists, but then you don't have to live as if he exists. It's what uh, one of my favorite pastors, Craig Groeschel, calls Christian atheism believing in God, but then living like he doesn't exist. So that's the first false doctrine that they're teaching. And then the second false doctrine they're teaching is that Jesus isn't really the king. He isn't really the sovereign Lord. And so Jude, he wants to combat these false teachers and he wants to urge the church and us to contend for the faith. From now until the end, we are called to contend for the faith. But if you're anything like me, as I read those verses over and over again over the last couple of weeks, I just thought, I don't even know what the word contend means. What does that mean? And so that word contend, it's actually only used here the one time in the entire New Testament, but it's a word that means to wrestle or to fight, to strive towards. It's a similar word to the word that Paul uses at the end of his life as he's reflecting on his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, and he says, I have fought pretty much the same word there. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so for us to contend for the faith, that means that we are wrestling for the faith. We are striving for the faith. We are fighting for the faith. When I was in middle school, I started a new sport. I started wrestling. I thought that, you know, if I if I wrestled for a couple years, then I'd be able to beat up my older brother, James, who's two and a half years older than me. And so uh, I wrestled and had a lot of fun in middle school, and I won a lot of matches until I wrestled people who actually knew what they were doing. You see, I did not I didn't know any of the moves, really. I knew like one or two moves, and so I just like tried to be stronger than people or faster than people. And if I wasn't, then I would lose. In fact, there's this kid, Casey, if you're watching this, Casey Biddle, in middle school, he beat me six or seven times. And every time, he beat me handily. It was like he was playing with me the entire time because that kid had been wrestling since he was like three years old. And so he actually knew what moves to use against me and he beat me every single time. I think what Jude is trying to do is he's trying to teach us the right moves. The right moves for us as we contend for the faith. The right moves that we can use as we fight to finish this race well. And so I think he does that in three different moves. I'll give you three words, and we'll, we'll talk about them more in depth. The first word, the first move, is identity, verses 1 and 2. The second move is authority, verses 5 through 16. And the third move is duty, verses 17 through 23. We'll start with the first move, identity. Jude wants us to remember our identity, remember who we are. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Jude starts off, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Jude lets us know right off the bat what his identity is. He is a servant, sometimes translated a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now James was a not a slouch in the first century church. James was a leader in the Jerusalem church. James also has a book that he wrote. And so Jude wants us to know, hey, I'm brothers with, with James, but what he doesn't tell us is that he's a brother of Jesus Christ. And that's interesting because church tradition says that Jude was also the half-brother of Jesus. And yet he doesn't even say a thing about being the half-brother of Jesus. Which is interesting because if it was me, man, that's a perfect opportunity to be just like pulling rank on people, right? I have a cool brother, but he's not as cool as Jesus. So can you imagine the conversations that Jude could have about his brother? Oh, your brother's a good swimmer? My brother walked on water. Your brother's a good cook? My brother fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Oh, your brother's a doctor and helps people My brother heals people and resurrects them from the grave. I mean, if you're at a party, you have the ultimate trump card, right? And yet, and yet Jude doesn't say a single thing about Jesus being his physical brother. Why? Because he knows his identity begins as his servant, as his slave. Jude knows that his identity is as someone who serves King Jesus, even if that person is his half-brother. Jude continues to not only tell us about his identity, but then he tells us about our identity. He says that we have been called, we have been loved, we have been kept for Christ Jesus. We are the ones who experience the love, peace, and mercy of God. And so Jude wants to remind us who we are. We are called. That means that that God wants a relationship with us. He is pursuing us. We are loved. The over, overwhelming message of the Bible is that we are loved by God. And one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still God's enemies, Christ died for us. We are loved by God. And then lastly, we are kept by God. I love that imagery because in those moments when we feel like giving up on Jesus and we feel like letting go, Jesus is still holding on to us. Our identity, as followers of Jesus, are those who are called and loved and kept by God. And I think that's such an important message for us to hear. Because there was a study done that says that 85% of the world, I'm not sure how you could check this, but 85% of the world is said to have low self-esteem. And I think sometimes the church can actually add to that low self-esteem. So often we're reminded here that we are sinners, and just a heads up, we are all sinners. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we are all sinners, and yet in the Bible, one of the things that we are called more than anything else are holy ones, saints, beloved. I think what Jude wants to do is remind us that we're not just sinners, but we are called, loved, and kept by God. And so I want to encourage you this week to say a prayer, just this simple prayer throughout the week. As you think back to the Sunday sermon, as you just think back to, uh, to Sunday, I want you to say this simple prayer. Jesus, I thank you for calling me, loving me, and keeping me. In the moments when you mess up at work or at school, remind yourself, Jesus, thank you for calling me, loving me, and keeping me. When you're impatient with a spouse or your kids, take a moment and say, Jesus, thank you for loving me, calling me, and keeping me. When you look in the mirror every morning or every time after you go to the bathroom, remind yourself and thank Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for calling me, loving me, and keeping me. The first move that Jude wants us to learn as we contend for the faith, as we fight for the faith, is our identity. Remember who we are are. The second move he wants to teach us has to do with authority, not to just remember who we are, but to remember whose we are. And I just got to warn you up front, we're going to be going through a lot of verses here, verses 5 through 16, and you're going to need to put your yarmulke on because we're going to be talking a lot about Old Testament background stuff, but it's going to be fun. Stick with me to the end because what, what Jude is going to do here is he's going to highlight some villains from the Old Testament, and he's going to show how they reject God's authority, and as a result, they face judgment. Look with me at verse 5 through 7. It says this, Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling. These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chain for judgment on the great day. Sounds like a great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So there's a lot going on there, but the overwhelming message is that these people have rejected God's authority, and as a result, they will face judgment. When we reject God's authority, we will always face his judgment. Verse 5 talks about the Israelites. You probably remember the story in Exodus. They, the Israelites were in Egyptian slavery, and God led them out of slavery. He led them through the Red Sea. He fed them. He gave them water. And how did the people respond? By worshiping a golden calf, by complaining about what God provided for them, and by not believing that he could actually get them into the promised land. And as a result, most of that generation didn't get to enter into the promised land. Verse 6 is really interesting. It tells us about these angels. Uh, this is probably the story in Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 through 4, and then it's probably pulling a tradition from another first century Jewish document that tells us about how these angels, they, they went from their proper dwelling place in heaven and they, they slept with human beings and they had these Weird demonic offspring. I mean, that's one interpretation of what's going on there. So it's a really weird story. But the point is, even these angelic beings, they have gone away from their boundaries and what God has told them to do, and they have rejected it. And then in verse 7, we're told about Sodom and Gomorrah, the story that you probably all know. Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis chapter 19, God sends two angels to go check out Sodom and Gomorrah and see if they will repent from their wicked ways. And instead of repenting, what they try and do is rape these angels. And so because of their sexual immorality and their lack of hospitality, God sends judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and completely wipes out the city. So all of these examples show us uh, people, these villains in the Old Testament that are rejecting God's authority and trying to live on their own. And as a result, they will face judgment. And what Judas is trying to do is say that these false teachers that we have, they're just like those guys. They have forgotten whose their authority is. They have forgotten whose they are. Listen to verse 8. He says, in the very same way, these false teachers, on the strength of their dreams and these ungodly people, pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. So these false teachers are like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. They reject God's authority, they uh, partake in sexual immorality, and they heap abuse on celestial beings. Which, what in the world is going on there? I'm not 100% sure what he's talking about. But in the very next verse, what he says is like, here's a positive example of someone who knows that God has the authority. Verse 9 says this, But even the archangel Michael, who I was named after, thanks mom and dad, the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord Rebuke you we don't have this story in our bibles or really anywhere else except in in church history But the point is that even when michael the archangel was disputing with this other celestial being the devil He didn't rebuke him. He he went to the proper authority He went to god's authority and said the lord rebuke you And so the whole point is that these false teachers they continue to reject God's authority and they will face judgment And as if we didn't get the message yet, look at verse 10 through 13. He says, yet these people, they slander whatever they do not understand. And the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them, for they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feast." eating with you without the slightest qualm, listen to this, shepherds who only feed themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. You can tell Jude really likes these guys. But listen, I mean, look at the imagery in these verses. In verse 10, these, these false prophets, they're like, they're like animals who just follow their instincts. They don't have any self-control. They are like Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Cain was the first murderer in the Bible. He murdered his brother in Genesis chapter 4. Balaam was a false prophet. Korah was a leader of a rebellion against God's anointed people. And then in verse 12 and 13, we're given these pictures. These, these guys are like, like waterless clouds in the sky. Like like trees that don't ever produce fruit. These guys are, are selfish shepherds that only feed themselves. The point that Jude is trying to get us across to us is that these people are worthless and selfish. And as a result, they are reserved for utter darkness forever. They will face judgment for forgetting who, whose they are. And then he continues on. And verses 14 through 16, and he quotes a a book from the first century, First Enoch, and he says, First Enoch was prophesying about these people when he said this about judgment. And he says this, he says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and convict all of them of the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness. And of all the defiant words, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They, fellow, they follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. All right, let's all just take a little breather real quick. Whew, that, was, that was a lot. But the point is, these false teachers have done exactly what these villains of the Old Testament have done. They have rejected God's authority and will face judgment. I had a picture made, so it would help us uh, remember. Do we have this picture? Yeah, Okay. Here's, here's the villains of the Old Testament, all right? These are all the examples that we went through in Jude. You know, we have Israel's idolatry. We have the angels in Genesis 6, Sodom and Gomorrah. We have Cain, Balaam, and Korah. No, there's nothing special about each of those pictures. That would have been fun to think about why they relate. But no, I just, I just had it made for me. So. Uh, but here's the point. All of those people rejected God's authority and as a result faced judgment. And so we can, we can look at this cute little picture, we can read through the story and think, man, this doesn't really apply to me. But the truth is, it does. Because like the false teachers, we are always tempted to reject God's authority and live our lives for ourselves. Because we, are, we live in a world that constantly says, you are your own authority. You don't need anybody else. Just follow your heart's And I think what Jude would say is if you follow your heart, you're going to end up in judgment. Now don't get me wrong, God has given us our hearts and our feelings for a reason. They matter and we should think about them. But they don't matter more than God's boundaries for us. And in America, we kind of reject boundaries. We don't like people taking away. But boundaries are, when they're done well, they're meant to keep us safe. I mean, think of the laws that we have. They are society's way of putting boundaries in place to keep everybody safe. That's what law enforcers do. They enforce the law so that everybody can be safe. With your kids, you set boundaries so that they can be safe, so that they're not just playing in the road and get ran over, so they don't stick their finger into an electrical socket. And God is the same way with us. But not only does he want to keep us safe, he wants us to thrive. And so he gives us boundaries so that we can live our lives for his glory and so that we can thrive. But the problem is, we so often reject those boundaries our boundaries about our sexuality. Boundaries about our finances, boundaries about our families, boundaries about our attitudes. And so I think the question we need to ask, that Jude wants us to ask, is what area in my life do I need to surrender to the authority of God? When I think about my life, what area do I need to fully surrender to the authority of God? Is it your sexuality? Is it your family? Is it your finances? Is it your career? Is it your schooling? Is it a specific sin like pride or laziness or pornography? What area of your life do you need to fully surrender to God? And then once you have that picked out, we just have to begin every day by surrendering it to him. A simple prayer that we can pray is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I give you permission to enter into every area of my life. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I give you permission to enter into every area of my life. Jesus lived this kind of life. He exemplified it. In Philippians chapter 2, we are told that Jesus is God, and yet he humbled himself. He became a human and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And I'm reminded of the story where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's wrestling with God in prayer about whether or not to die on the cross for the sins of the world. He's wrestling with God about that. And he says, if there's any other way, Lord, let it pass. But there isn't another way. And so at the end of that night, Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus surrendered to the authority of God in every area of our lives. And we should too. Because when we surrender to God, when we live by his authority, our lives are going to be different. And when our lives are different, our lives can be a witness to other people. One of the greatest witnesses that we have in this world is our lives. Because we live differently than the people around us. Because we have a different authority than people around us. Not do we We don't have a cosmic killjoy God. We have a loving Father who has placed boundaries around us so that we can thrive in life. And when people see that we live differently, they might think we're weirdos for a little while. But it can be a good opportunity to witness because they see there's something different about us. And so we willingly surrender to our king our authority. The second move that Jude wants us to make as we contend for the faith is centered on authority. We have to remember whose we are. We are not our own. We are God's. And then the last move that Jude wants us to make centers on the word Duty. Duty. We have to remember why we are here. Remember why we are here. Verse 17 through 23 says this. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But verse 20, there's a change. But you, dear friends, By building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. The key verse there for us is verse 21. Keep yourself in God's Love How? Well, by by building yourself up in prayer and by by, uh, being merciful to those who doubt and by waiting expectantly for God's mercy. I mean, it'd be a really good sermon if someone just took those six verses and talked about them for an hour. We don't have time for that. Uh, You're welcome. (laughs) But the point is that our duty here is to keep ourselves in God's love, and to witness to his mercy. Did you see that emphasis on mercy in verse 22 and 23? Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy. Our duty is not only to remember our identity or our authority, but also our duty is to witness to God's mercy. To show everyone we can how good our good father is to help them to relish love and the mercy and the compassion of Jesus, no matter where they are in the stage of their journey with Jesus. I have a a spectrum on the screen. We have, um, when we think about people and their journey with Jesus, they're all over the spectrum. Some people are atheists. They don't believe in God at all. Others are exploring Christ. You see that on the far left, where maybe they're starting to believe in God, but they still have doubts. Or maybe they're all the way on the other side, they're all the way to the right, they are a Christ-centered and everything about their life is focused on Jesus. Well, wherever people are on that spectrum, we always have an opportunity to witness to God's mercy to them. Every moment is an opportunity to tell them about God's mercy, and by doing so, we just might be able to snatch them from the fire of God's judgment about four summers ago, we, uh, my wife Janelle and I, we went back to Kansas to spend time with her family. And so we were, it was during hay season. And so we were moving big round hay bales from their their ranch to another pasture. And so Janelle and I and her mom and her brother, we were in one truck. We had two, tra- two trailers fulls of uh, round bales. And then Janelle's dad, Joe, was behind us in a semi-truck that also had some round bales on it. And we were just having a good time And maybe one minute down the road from their house, all of a sudden, Jordy, who's driving our truck, he turns around and he says, I think I see smoke. Can you pause that? Thank you. I think I see smoke. And so all of a sudden, we we whip our truck around, and we see that some of the bales have caught on fire. And if one of those things catches on fire, pretty much all of them are going to catch on fire. And so we are just booking it back, trying to help as he tries to make sure that his semi truck doesn 't explode because these hay bales are on fire, and so everybody just goes into like crazy adrenaline mode. Joe hops on the on the tractor and he starts pulling off these bales um, for the bales that have been pulled off. Uh, I and a couple other people were getting pitchforks trying to just like smother the fire. Uh, Janelle's mom got a water hose, didn't really do much, you know, when it's blazing that hot, but that's okay. Uh, Jordy, Janelle's brother, he, he, uh, jumped in and disconnected the trailer when it was burning hot. And can I tell you, as you got even anywhere near that trailer, blazing hot, the hottest I have ever been in my life, just from being from me to about the first row to these Round bales. We have a. Uh, thankfully, we were able to get the fire out. The firefighters got there about 20 minutes later. I mean, when you live in the middle of nowhere, that's kind of how long it takes. But here's a, vid- uh, a video of just kind of what it was like afterwards. Now you can play. it. Is it moving? So all, all the bales. All I don't know how many there were on there. Like 20 of them. All of them burned up just like that. And I got to tell you, as I was reflecting on this moment, so thankful that nobody was hurt, so thankful that the semi-truck wasn't, didn't explode or anything like that, it changed the way that I viewed God's judgment. In our text today, God's judgment is described in a bunch of different ways. Utter darkness, chains, gloom, and in what we just read, fire. And I don't know if Jude really has a physical fire in his mind or a metaphorical fire in his mind, but whatever he has in his mind, the fire that he's talking about is going to be infinitely worse than the fire and the heat that I felt from those hay bales. The judgment of God is going to be infinitely worse than we could ever imagine. And the truth is that for every single one of us, we have friends and family members who are headed towards that judgment. It's a sobering thought. And so, our duty while we're here on this earth is to witness to the mercy of God. And maybe, just maybe, we might help snatch them from the fire of God's judgment. And so, what I want to encourage you to do is just write down one name. Just write down one name for you to have a conversation about God's mercy with them this week. Because by doing so, you never know, you could change the trajectory of their eternity. Just by having one conversation, you might be able to help snatch someone from the fires of God's judgment. Jude teaches us that from now until the end, we are called to contend for the faith. First, by remembering our identity, whose we are, who we are, then by remembering our authority, whose we are, and then lastly, remembering our duty on to have mercy on people and to witness to them. And Jude concludes his letter by one of the most beautiful benedictions in all of the New Testament, reminding us that he is the one who will help us contend until the end. Here's what he says in verses 24 and 25 to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for this book and how it um, how it helps teach us How to live out our faith. And I pray, Lord, that you would, um, you'd give all of us boldness this week to have a conversation with someone about your mercy because their eternity could depend on it. Help us be a bold witness for you and to always remember your grace and your mercy towards us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.